Um, so I'm really thankful to be here because um, yeah, I was out of town last week, and so I missed Praxis. I wasn't able to be here with all of you, and I know we had a lot of visitors last week, so welcome. Um, and then also a quick shout out to whoever is helping with VBS this week. This is my first time helping with VBS here at Lighthouse, and it's been amazing. So if you haven't done it before, I highly encourage you to try to serve next year when there's VBS. Um, it's really, really good, really awesome to see the church coming together and serving um, all the children and really proclaiming Christ to them and seeing the love of God just on display everywhere you look um, for three hours every day, Monday to Friday. It, it's just great. So I encourage you to check that out um, next, next year. Um, okay, so as we jump in, um, you know, I remembered when I was in seminary that there was a relatively common greeting for somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the folks among the student body. And you would just walk up to somebody and say, hey, how's it going, bro? Or maybe I was the only one that said bro. But um, the simple response that people would give, though, is better than I deserve. Now, some of the guys said it, and, and they really did mean it. And you could see it in their eyes because they were going through, you know, some trials and difficult times. And so when they said better than I deserve, you could tell they meant it. But some of the other guys got criticized because others thought that they were throwing that response around too lightly. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are all doing better than we deserve, right? We've all received a large measure of God's grace in our lives, and we are indeed doing better than we deserve. Our passage tonight focuses on God's grace and gives us a sharper picture of God's grace working in our lives. So our key idea from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, is that the grace of God removes the judgment of sin and the power of sin in our lives. So we're going to look at it in two parts, the power of the grace of God and the purpose of the grace of God. So let's go ahead and read verses 11 to 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, actually, let's take a pause and just pray real fast. Sorry, I forgot. So let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Help us, Lord, always to enjoy your word, to be blessed by your word, and to recognize and remember that it is indeed all by your grace, and that, Lord, nothing we can do is in our own strength, but it's all from you. So bless our time tonight in your word, and lead us as we enjoy dissecting and understanding your word more and more tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so once again, our passage begins with the word for. Now this word connects our passage from tonight with the passage that we looked at last week, which concluded with, so that in everything that they do, they may adorn themselves with the doctrine of God our Savior. Sorry, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior based on the way that Paul was calling the church to live. So the call that Paul gave for our behavior in the church and in our work in verses 1 through 10 has a theological underpinning to it. And that's what Paul is giving us in verses 11 to 15. 
the theological underpinning for the call to live a godly life is the grace of God. As we said in our first uh, part of our key idea, it is the grace of God that removes the judgment of sin. And that's what we see in verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, the grace of God certainly refers to God's beneficent disposition toward his people, but more specifically, it refers to Christ and to the gospel that has been handed down to us through his word. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to all people. It is the gospel that brings deliverance from the judgment of sin. But verse 11 brings up an interpretive question or a theological question around salvation for all people. Now, what does Paul mean by all people? Does he mean that every single human being is going to be saved? Or does he mean all kinds of people? So there are many passages throughout Scripture that call people to salvation through repentance of sins and faith in Jesus Christ. And plenty of passages that say of people that they don't repent and believe, that they'll have to face eternal punishment in hell for their sins. So it wouldn't make sense with the rest of Scripture if Paul meant here that every single human being will be saved. It must mean that all kinds of people, and that understanding fits also with Titus 1.1, that it's all kinds of people that are going to be saved. And in Titus 1.1, Paul refers to God's elect and everyone who has chosen to believe in the gospel. Now, we studied about God's elect extensively in our series in Romans. So if you have questions about that, I refer you to go listen to the series in Romans from chapters 9 through 11. But even if you look back in our passage from last week, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we see that Paul is referring to older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and also slaves. And that would fit with this idea of all kinds of people. So remember, too, also that Paul is writing this letter to Titus, who's ministering to the Cretans, who, by way of reminder, are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That was Paul, not me, so just just clarifying that. So when Paul says that the grace of God has appeared and brings salvation for all people, he's referring to all kinds of people, that are saved by the gospel, and that they're delivered from the judgment of sin. Now, we have to praise the Lord for that, obviously, because you and I fit into all kinds of people. We are in that category. And some of us, perhaps, may have been Cretans in our B.C. days, our before Christ days, where we were liars and lazy gluttons. But we've seen this in the text. We've seen it in other passages that whether you are male or female, rich or poor, master or slave, Jew or Gentile, the reality is is that you are a sinner and the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ applies to you if you repent and believe. So the grace of God removes our judgment for sin, but the grace of God also has to do with the power of sin in our lives. And that's what we see in verses 12 to 13. Verses 12 to 13 Read that it's the grace of God that is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage is so encouraging. It's filled with hope for godly living in our present lives. In other portions of Scripture, people who have not yet believed in the gospel They are said to be slaves of sin. 
Now you and I, before we believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. Now think of that. Before Christ, everyone is a slave to sin. But in our modern thinking, in our Western culture, we highly esteem autonomy and individualism. But the reality is, is that no one is autonomous. Outside of Christ, everyone is a slave to sin. Now, sin controlled us. Sin had power over us. We couldn't help but do anything but sin. And there was nothing in our power that we could do anything about it. But notice now that it is the grace of God that is training us to renounce ungodliness and to live godly lives in this present age. So thus, the power of sin over our lives has been broken. And now the gospel itself is training us in an ongoing sanctification process. The gospel is training us to turn away from our sins and to turn towards Jesus Christ. So this is so encouraging, but but how, you might ask, and why is this so encouraging? Well, there is not a single soul in this room who is not currently struggling with sin. Everyone is in a battle with sin in their lives. And if you're not in the battle, then it's certainly possible you might be losing the battle or unwilling to fight the battle. But think with me for a moment. Do you have specific patterns of sin or sinful attitudes in your life, in your heart? Do you ever get so frustrated because you keep succumbing to the same sins over and over and over again? Now, whether it be anger or lust or love of money or pride or envy or coveting or laziness, all of us have sins that we struggle with. And if you're actively in the battle against sin, it can be so frustrating to succumb to that sin for the upteeth time. But that's why this passage is so encouraging, because there is hope in the gospel. Because not only has the gospel saved us from the judgment of sin, but it has also saved us from the power of sin. So we're no longer slaves to sin. We are now being trained to renounce ungodliness and to live godly lives in this present age, in this present life. So now not only do we repent and believe in Christ to be saved, but that is also the pattern of our lives as believers in Christ now, today, to repent from our sins and to believe in Christ. So this passage acknowledges the reality that we will still sin during this lifetime. And so our frustration when we still sin should not be surprising to us. But there is indeed this genuine hope that the gospel is also training us to turn away from our sins and to turn towards Christ. Now, this last two weeks, I was with my family in South Carolina, attending some training in preparation for missions. And it's only in South Carolina, but it took us about 36 hours of traveling to get there due to delayed flights and other fun mishaps. On the way back wasn't as bad, but we were still took us 17 hours to get back. But as we were loading the luggage, and we landed in LAX, we're loading the luggage, we're loading the car seats, we're loading the kids, a man started yelling at us in front of everyone because we were taking so long to load the car. And he yelled all kinds of unkind things at us. And he kept on berating us as we were getting in the car and even as we were driving off. And I wish, I really wish that I could tell you 
that I smiled at him, that I spoke kindly to him, that I gave him the gospel, that I gave him a gospel tract, and I gave him a hug, and everything was great. I really wish I could tell you that. But the truth is, is that my heart was so filled with anger. It was filled to the brim. I was so close to spewing out all this anger all over the place, all up and down LAX. My heart, my heart was so filled with all kinds of evil and malice towards this guy in that moment. But it didn't just last that moment. It was the whole night. I was so angry with this guy. I was actually surprised at how angry I was. But the reality is, is that this is the Lord in his kindness training me. That through the gospel, he's training me to renounce my ungodliness and to live a godly life. So I really tried to pray to the Lord that night and just confess my anger to him. I tried to meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ and remember that even though he was reviled, he did not return with reviling. It is that same grace of God that has broken the power of sin over in my life and is training me to live a life of repentance over my sins, to live a life of repentance and faith. Well, it's not easy, and it can be frustrating, but I'm very thankful and filled with hope because it is the grace of God training me, and it's the grace of God that is also training you there is a lot of hope in this passage because it highlights, again, the power of the grace of God and how he's removed the judgment of sin and the power of sin in our lives. But there's still more hope to be found in this passage. In verse 14, it highlights the purpose of the grace of God, the purpose of the grace of God. So verse 14 says about Jesus Christ, that he is the one who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, as you noticed, I'm sure this verse certainly has some parallels between verses 11 to 13, and it continues in highlighting the grace of God and removing the judgment of sin and the power of sin from our lives. But it brings to our attention the fact that this is indeed the purpose of the grace of God, that Jesus Christ gave himself up to redeem us from lawlessness, to redeem us means that Jesus' life and death paid a ransom for us. And when someone pays a ransom, it's paid in order that someone who is under an oppressive situation would be set free. So in this case, Jesus' life and death was the payment to set us free. But to set us free from what? What did he set us free from? So Jesus' death on the cross set us free from all lawlessness. Or in other words, Jesus set us free from our sin. So not only was the penalty for sin paid, but we're no longer slaves to sin, and we've been set free from sin. Indeed, once again, the power of sin in our lives has been broken, and that was one of God's purposes in the gospel itself. So I remind you, if you are in the battle, if you are struggling with sin in your life, know that it was God's very purpose to free you from that slavery to sin through the gospel. We also see that it is God's purpose to purify for himself 
a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're being purified or cleansed from our sin and our ongoing sanctification. It is the Lord's purpose that you be made clean because it is his full intention for his church to be made pure for his own possession. It is his purpose. He will bring it to completion. So as you struggle in the fight with sin in your life, as you recover from a relapse of falling into temptation to anger or lust or whatever particular sin that you're dealing with now, I want you to remember that you have a sure hope because it is the power and the purpose of the grace of God in your life that has set you free, not only from the judgment of sin, but has also set you free from the power of sin. And to that, we can all say to God be the glory, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we can be slaves to righteousness in Christ through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful word and giving us this theological underpinning that it is your grace, the grace of God that has made us free from our sins. Maybe we've been believers for a long time and it's hard for us to remember what life was like apart from you in the gospel. But Lord, maybe some of us are newer in the faith and we still struggle with our sins. Or maybe we're seasoned believers and we're still struggling with our sins. And Lord, our hope is found in you. Our hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful that you give us these reminders through your word and that they are indeed to be declared with full authority And they should be reminded to us in our hearts and in our minds. So, Lord, I pray you bless us as we go forth tonight and seek how to continue to be trained by the gospel, to turn away from our sins, look to Christ, see how we should live, and ask for your continued grace to help us live more like Christ for your glory. We pray these things humbly in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.